0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth Everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, I'm going to tell you now, we won't get all the way to verse 10 tonight. We're going to cover a lot more than we did last week, I promise you. But we're not going to get as far as verse 10 tonight. We'll pick up wherever we finish tonight, next week. As a quick reminder as well, there is Bible study next week, there will be the Bible study, and then the last week of September. So there's Bible study tonight, there will be next week, and then the last week of September there's no Bible study because I'm going to be preaching in Virginia for a week. But then we'll kick back in first week of October. Alright? Now Paul hadn't seen these people in a while now. If you remember from our study last week, as they were making their way through Macedonia, they went to Philippi, and then Thessalonica, and then Berea, and then Paul went on to Athens, and then he sent Timothy and, and, and Silas back to go check on a couple of the churches, one of them being the church in Thessalonica while he was in Athens. And then he went on to Corinth, and they, they both Silas and Timothy met him back in Corinth and gave reports about the churches that he had them check on. Paul wrote this book in AD 51 from Corinth. But let's let this sink in for a minute, because this will help us grasp where we're going in our study. When Paul was there in Thessalonica, there was a great persecution that came out against them as he preached the gospel. And he pretty much got chased out of Thessalonica. And then those same people from Thessalonica chased him out of Berea. And that's why he ended up in Athens and then on from there to Corinth and so on. And so Paul, at the point before he writes this letter, doesn't really know whether that church in Thessalonica really made it. Just because people say they believe doesn't mean they're saved. Just because people say, hey, I accept this, doesn't mean that it's real salvation. We're gonna talk about that later on tonight. So Paul wants to know how they're doing and so he had sent Timothy back to them to go check on them and Timothy has just returned to Corinth and given the report that they're actually doing really, really well and they think well of you. Go, Go to 1 Thessalonians 3. And look at verses one through eight. Paul clarifies why he's writing. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul's been wondering how things went there. Wants to know how they're doing. And as I was kind of thinking about this, God opened my eyes to something a couple of nights ago. He reminded me of the fact that Becky and I, when we were dating, she, she and I have been married now 33 years, but we were, we've known each other 35, we dated and were engaged over a period of two years. And most of those two years, we were six hours apart. While well, she was in Tallahassee at Florida State University, or I was down here working as a youth pastor, or then I went on to seminary and was still six hours away in New Orleans. And back then, there was no Facebook, There was no email, there were no cell phones, and the only way we could have contact with each other was to have phone calls on landlines, remember this? And they were pay calls, and so we only could afford to talk to each other on Monday night for one hour and Thursday night for one hour. The rest of the week, you didn't know how they were doing. Now put yourself in Paul's situation. He doesn't even get a one-hour phone call on Mondays and Thursdays to find out how they're doing. And he's really concerned. As you saw, he was afraid that the tempter had come and their work at it would have been in vain. But now he's gotten word that they're actually doing well. And this is an encouragement to him. But he then goes on and he says that even though they were separated, look at verse 2. They've been praying for them. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I want to take a little bit of time tonight to talk to you about the importance of praying for each other for a lot of reasons. And to be honest with you, I've come to realize over the years, myself included, I don't think we Christians fully understand the power of prayer. Because if we did, I believe we'd pray a lot more than we do. But the more I've learned to pray, the more I've learned to continually be in communication with the Father, the more I've learned how he does something in me when I pray. A lot of times we think, oh God, I wanna pray so that you'll act. And God says, look, I take your prayers and I, I work off of your prayers. And, but to be honest with you, the first and foremost purpose why I want you to pray isn't really as much about me moving as much as I wanna work on you in that same time period. Because as you really learn to pray, And pray the way the Bible teaches us to pray. You'll understand that as you pray, you don't pray correctly. If you say, God, I order you to do this and I order you to do that. And Lord, here's my list of things that I want you to fix. And many of us pray that way without realizing we may not say I order you, but we give him our list. Lord, here's my list of things I want you to do. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, I had my prayer time. But actually, as you allow the Spirit of God to show you how to pray, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, you're going to find that actually God wants you to learn how to pray with humility and submission and pray with an attitude that says, you're God and I'm not. Here's some things I'd like to see, but you know what? You are God and you might have a greater purpose. And as you learn to pray properly, you'll realize that actually a lot of times prayer is for you. Let me show you a couple of verses from the Bible that kind of talk about this. Go to James chapter 5. As you know, we just finished the book of James. And this passage here, when it talks about healing, isn't talking about physical healing as much as it's talking about spiritual healing and getting right with God. In James chapter 5, look at verse 16. It says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We're not we're not we're to not only acknowledge that we are sinners and we need God's grace. We're also to pray for each other in that same area. I'm just going to tell you this ahead of time and you're going to see it more as we as, as we look at these passages. But when I pray for you and truly pray for you. I hand you over to God. And when I hand you over to God. All of a sudden, he does this awesome transaction where he gives me what? Even though I may not have understanding, according to Philippians chapter four, he gives you peace. And I've heard this illustration with some of you over the years. Some of you might not have heard it. But if you were walking down the street one day and you're in a neighborhood and somebody hadn't mowed their lawn. I'm not going to say I'm going to ask it this way. Should it bother you? Some of you, it would bother. But should it bother you that someone hadn't cut their lawn? No, it shouldn't. Why shouldn't it bother you? It's not your grass, right? Now, here's how you'll know that you when you pray for someone or about a situation that you've really given it to God. When you give it to him, it becomes his grass, not yours. And if he decides not to mow it or to do anything about it as soon as you would like, if it bothers you, you've made it your grass and you haven't given it over to God. But if you honestly say, Lord, I am handing this over to you, this situation, this person. And when I do, it is now your grass. And if you want to let it grow up, I'm going to, you just do with it as you want. I'm handing it to you. And he gives you a piece. Now, if you're like me, every now and then, you might even have a few days where you're like, look, I gave that to the Lord. Thank the Lord. And then all of a sudden, about a week later, like he hadn't done anything yet. And we take it back. And that's when the Holy Spirit says, whose grass is this? OK, that's right. It's your grass. And we give it back to him. But there's a transaction that God wants to have occur as we learn to pray for each other. But not only that, as we've also just touched on briefly, when we do pray for each other, that's when God's power is released. Because he's waiting for us to ask. He's waiting for us. He says, James chapter 4, if you remember from our study, you don't have because you don't ask. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 9 through 13. Paul said to the church in Colossae, he said, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you see how the transaction happened as he was praying for them and listing how he was praying for them? Paul went from praying for them to preaching. Did you catch it? He said, we don't, we don't stop praying for you. And here's what we prayed for you. We prayed that you would grow in your knowledge of God, that you would increase in your love for another, that you would really understand what it meant to bear fruit and have him do all this work in you. And then all of a sudden he gets pretty excited. Hey, we've been to, transferred them to, from the domain of darkness into the d- domain of his kingdom of his glorious light and What happens is when we start praying sincerely and allow the spirit of God to lead us in our praying and it lines up with his word, his spirit at the same time that we're praying for others and praying for a certain situation starts to remind us of biblical truth. And that excites us because it's the word which will give us endurance. It's the word of God. And that's why we need to pray. Go to Luke chapter six. Look at verses 27 through 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Why would God want us to pray for the people that are out to get us? What's that? <laughs> well, we all need it. But Go ahead. Love your enemies. Well, he says, love your enemies and pray for them. Here's why. Again. You're handing them over to who? Good. You're handing them over to God. And at the same time, as he's promised, he'll make a wonderful transaction. where, actually when we pray for others, even our enemies, God does a work in our hearts that as we release them to God, we get peace instead of worry, joy instead of anger, because we're now handing them over to the Lord. Otherwise, if we're bothered by them and we don't hand them over in prayer and pray for them, we're actually going to have the bitterness start to build up within us. But you ever notice that Jesus, while the world, all the people of the world at that time that were there at the cross were making fun of him and mocking him. He was saying what? Father, forgive them. they don't know what they're doing. Aren't you glad Jesus prayed for you when you were his enemy? Because we needed his grace. And it helps you be reminded of the truth. There's some people out there in the world right now that are wicked without question. Do they need prayer? Well, we know the right answer, Jim, but I really don't want to do it. I just can't wait until the day they get get judged. Well, that might show you something about your heart. You're glad that you're in. You just don't want anybody else in. Or you do want other people in. You just want the good people in. When we see the terrorism and all the things that are going on, I mean, we've just hit another anniversary of 9-11. How many of us forget that Paul was a terrorist? You see what happens when we pray? God aligns us with his word and with his truth. Prayer should not be your list of things to tell God what he should do. I got no problem with you having a list of things to pray about, but don't pray with, pray them as, okay, Lord, do this, do this, do this and do this, but actually allow the spirit of God to show you how to pray and ask him to change your heart toward those people that you're praying for so that you'll see them as he does. Now, I'm going to show you something else here that's kind of interesting about this. Go to the book of Job. The book of Job, chapter 42. Look at the verses 7 through 10. This is at the end of God having his little face-to-face with Job. And now God speaks to Job's three friends. Remember his friends that were preaching Adam about how all all this suffering was because of his sin. And Job 42, verses 7 through 10, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Isn't that interesting? When God says to those three guys, hey, by the way, I'm a little bit angry with you guys right now because you went off for all these chapters about how you knew who I am and how I work and what I'm doing. And you could talk like you were me. You were wrong. Oh, the things you said about me were all true. They just didn't apply in Job's situation. Job was right. This had nothing to do with his sin. So here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to humble yourselves. And I want you to take seven bulls and seven rams. And I want you to go make an offering. And I want you to ask Job to pray for you. Why do you think God was wanting Job to pray for his three friends? The answers are multifaceted, so you probably won't get it wrong. What, why do you think God was wanting Job to pray for them? They were wrong. Well, definitely because they were wrong. Go ahead. Someone else. His shows that he's forgiving them, too. Yeah, when he he has Job pray for him, Job now has to forgive him. It's good for Job. This is actually good for Job because he won't hold the bitterness. He's asking Job to pray for him. But he also said, I'm going to listen to Job's prayer on your behalf. Job became a picture of Jesus, didn't he? You didn't even think about the fact that you become a little picture of Jesus when you pray for your enemies that God would forgive them that God would have mercy on them. That they might have done it for evil, but God can use it for good. They don't really even know what they're doing. Lord, it's actually not even them according to your word that I'm fighting against. It's not flesh and blood, but it's the spiritual forces of evil that are really going on behind all this. And I wanna get mad at my sister or my brother or my wife or my husband or my friend or my boss or my whoever. Folks, I I could take the rest of the night dealing with this we really need to learn how to pray. How to walk in a continual attitude of prayer. Because it keeps you focused on God and his word and his truth, and that you'll see things the way he wants you to see them. And his power is released when we pray. I've learned over the years that when I've got a situation that I'd like to see God work, but I try to fix it, he doesn't help. He waits for me to say, Lord, you do it. Now, there's lots of reasons why. One of the main reasons is when he does do it now, I'll acknowledge that it was him. Because I was asking him. I'm not going to have you turn there. But, you know, in the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it talks about, you know, the sword of the spirit is the word of God and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. A lot of people don't realize that there's a part of it there in verse 18, chapter 6, verse 18. And it says, and also praying in the spirit. Because you could be wearing all that armor, but if you're not, through prayer, connected to the power source, you're missing out. You're missing out. Jesus, even though he was God, while he was in the flesh, he limited himself, he humbled himself, and he spent much time in prayer. But you know, Jesus didn't have lessons on prayer. Did you ever notice that? He just lived it. He just lived it to the point that in chapter uh, 11 of Luke, we see the disciples come and say, teach us to pray. We see you doing this all the time. Teach us to pray. Folks, I think we should have less classes on prayer and more people just trying to pray and letting God show you and teach you. The Holy Spirit will walk you through it. And in time, as you become a person of prayer, others are going to know it. and You won't have to tell anybody. They might even ask you to pray with them. But we also in this letter, go back to 1 Thessalonians, we also see what Paul prayed. Now we're not going to look at everything he, he prayed for them, but go to chapter 3 verses 10 through 13. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, he says, As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless." In holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Don't miss something here. He's praying that they would get to see him, that they'd get to go see him again. But also he's praying that God would establish their hearts blameless. That he'd also that they'd have a for one for another. But he, and, and that would increase. But he also prays that they would God would establish their hearts blameless in holiness. So they'd be ready for the return of Jesus. Go to First Thessalonians five. Go to First Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I don't know if you caught this or not. But one of the main things he was praying for them was not only that they would come to know the Lord better, not only that they would learn to love each other more, but they would also allow God to do in their lives what he wants to do and needs to do so that when he comes back, they're ready. By the way, I'm pretty excited about what's going to be happening this weekend. I'm going to jump on a plane Friday morning. Actually, I leave my house at 430 in the morning to go catch the plane, but I'm going to be flying to do a men's conference in Detroit area. Two churches up in that area are meeting at a Salvation Army uh, camp place and 80 of us are going to be sharing a couple of cabins and and we're going to be having three sessions and some recreation time. And and I'm going to be teaching a theme of a men's conference called We Are the First. From 1 Peter 4, verse 17, where uh, Peter says, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of faith. And I'm going to be showing them that as bad as things are in the world, the book of Revelation tells us that God's already got a plan for how he's going to deal with the world. But I don't know how many of you have ever caught when you studied Revelation that as much as most of the book is laying out chapters 4 through 22 about what he's going to do with the world, the first part of the book is him speaking to the church to get them ready for the rapture. And then what's going to happen to the world? He's going to deal with the world, but we're the first ones he's going to deal with. And I'm going to be taking the seven letters to the churches in Revelation and showing them how they were written, not mainly just to the churches, but also to individuals. Have you ever thought about the fact that all through those seven letters are hints that they were actually, God, Jesus was actually speaking to individuals? We try to listen to those, churches, those letters to the churches and say, well, how does this apply to our church? Or does this match our church? And I'm going to say, don't even think about your church. Because here he says, to the messenger in each one, first off. To he who has an ear to hear. To the one who overcomes. He says specifically in some of the letters, I know each of you and some of you are falling prey to this false teaching. Others aren't. I know your situation. All through, if anyone would open the door. He's writing to individuals. And I want to be used of God to get those men ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, that's what we're going to be doing in our study of First and Second Thessalonians. I believe that's one of the main reasons why God led me to study this one and to prepare this one in our studies when we finished James. This book and the second letter, First and Second Thessalonians, that's why if you look at it online, to, we're going to put them together. It's a study of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. There's a lot of eschatology, a lot of end times things that are dealt with in this book. Paul's writing to them because he's found out that actually he's been praying for them and praying for them. And now words come back that they're actually for real. They really are saved. And he says now... I want to encourage you with the Word of God so that you'll know God more, that you'll love each other more, and that you'll be ready for His return. And, folks, that honestly is the heart of Just a Preacher Ministries. People have been saved through our ministry and come to know Jesus, but our ministry is mainly to speak to the church to get them ready for the return of Jesus Christ. You want to summarize what Just a Preacher does? What Just the Preacher Ministries does is we we use the Word of God and we teach and preach the Word of God in many different ways so that you'll get to know Jesus more, that you'll love each other more, and you'll be ready for his return. And that's where we're going in this study. Look at chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He hints at it here. For they themselves... Report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, I took a little longer in that part than I planned to, but I want to do one more thing before we move on to verse three. He also, if we see in verse two, thanked God for them. Don't miss that. Look at verse two again. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Not only have we been praying for you and mentioning you in our prayers, we thank God for you. Now, listen closely. I want to touch on this as quick as I can, but I I can't skip over this, even though we're a little behind where I want it to be. We need to really understand, especially in these days that we live in, in the last days, the importance of of the body of Christ and the fact that God has designed us to be in a family, in a body. We need each other. The temptation to live the Christian life as a solo person or a renegade is extremely strong, and especially in these day, this day and age in which we now can live stream the services. And there are some, and I thank God for that. Our ministry has exploded because of that. Yet, I warn people all the time who tune in to our videos. If you're just sitting home because it's easier to just sit in your couch or sit on your chair and do a solo thing and study the word of God by yourself, you're missing out. Because actually the body, the Bible says that the body of Christ is a part of the gift of God for us. I'm going to show you a couple of verses to deal with that. Go to Philippians chapter one. It was kind of neat. A few weeks ago, I was teaching a men's group at First Baptist Melbourne, the book of Revelation. We've been doing the whole book in four different sessions. And in the third session, when it was all over, I talked for almost two hours. A couple of few guys came up and all we did was just hug each other. I mean, just man hug, look each other in the eye with tears and say, I love you. And then we, we took off, took off. But you know who those guys were? Those were guys that I've known since 1984 when our family moved to Florida. And we first joined First Baptist Palm Bay, which is what Life Point used to be. And then I went to Lockmar Baptist and during those years at Lockmar Baptist, we lived life together as young men. We played softball together. We were in each other's homes almost every night for a party or we would play Pictionary with hymn books. You ever done that? It's kind of fun. Play, we would have a party at someone's house and we'd play Pictionary, but the, what you had to draw was hymns. It was a lot of fun, and we lived life together. We were all young people. Becky and I didn't have any kids at the time, and we were learning, but I have known these guys now for 30-plus years, and because we lived life together, even though we don't even go to the same churches anymore, haven't for years, those men all walked up to me, and all we did was just hug, and it, it was understood, I thank God for you. Man, I thank God for you. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. By the way, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he hadn't been there for over three years. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Isn't that cool? I'm thanking God for those years when we were together, but I'm also thanking God for the fact that we're still in it together now. And that's an encouragement to me. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints... I'm not going to have you turn there because of time, but in Philippian, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 1, right after Paul says we're sealed by the Spirit in verses 13 and 14 when we believe, he then prays this and he says, now that I've heard of your faith, I'm praying three things for you. That God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you'd know Christ better, that you'd understand the hope to which he's called us. Actually, four things. That you would know Christ better, that you'd know the hope to which he's called us, the glorious inheritance we have, listen, in the saints, It's a glorious inheritance we have with each other and the mighty power available to us who believe. And then he goes on in chapter three of Ephesians and in verses 14 through 21, he says this. My prayer is that you would understand the height, the width, the depth and the breadth of the love of God. But I quoted it wrong on purpose. If you go back and double check me, he says this. My prayer is that you would have power together with all the saints to know the height, the width, the depth and the breadth of the love of God. I'm going to say something to you that is biblical, and I want you to hear me. You can be saved and not involved in a local fellowship, but you will never come to know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God unless you're part of a body of Christ. Unless you're plugged together with believers, growing together, learning how to live the life of Christ within us together. He's designed us to all work together in some way, shape, or fashion. And I'm just going to tell you, you all are an encouragement to me. You know why? Does anybody else here feel like an alien in this world sometimes? I mean, those of us who are really trying to live, don't we just kind of feel out of place here? Well, every Wednesday night, I get encouraged with the fact that some other aliens show up. (laughs) No, I'm serious. You don't know what an encouragement you are to me. Because you let me know I'm not the only alien here. And we need each other for that. And so, Paul, not only did he pray for them, he thanked God for them. That's why in most of his letters he would talk about so and so says hi and say hi to so and so and actually someone from your church just came by and brought a love gift and I'm sending somebody to go check on you. He, even though there was no Facebook, there was not all that stuff, he was intimately knowledgeable of what was going on in people's lives without even a landline. Why? Because he understood the gift of the body of believers. We too should be grateful to God for the gift of each other in Christ and our different gifts and encourage each other and pray together for each other so we can experience the full power of God in and through us. Satan would have you try to live your Christian life alone. Don't let him. Now let's go to verse three. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse three. Remember, he then says, we mentioned you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on this verse. There's this one main thing I want to pull out of here. But I want to point out, we may have seen these three things that Paul saw in them. We might have seen them before somewhere else, but in a slightly different order, so we might not have recognized it. Does anybody see what those three things are? Faith. Faith. All right. So you got faith, love and what? Hope. Does those sound familiar? You remember 1 Corinthians 13? These three remain faith, hope and love. You might not have caught it. Go back to Colossians chapter one. When we were in Colossians one verses three and four, you might have missed it. They were there, too. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because, in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So what is this faith, hope and love that is all through the scriptures here? What is this faith, hope and love? Well, he tells us, look at what he says again. We remember your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope. I've kind of put it in my notes this way. We work for Christ using our gifts by faith in his word and his power. If you are working for God and hoping that it counts for something, or you're more focused on you and how hard you're working and whether or not anybody's helping you, your focus is in the wrong direction and you're not doing it by faith. You've heard me talk about this before. I've been a pastor of churches for many years and I've seen people who are faithful, committed, hardworking, they didn't know what faith was. And we even might have given them a banquet because they were hardworking for 50 years. They were a grumpy old curmudgeon and no one wanted to be around them. And the fact that they worked for 50 years is because no one had the nerve to say, you're really doing more damage than good. If you're looking at what you do, you're not working by faith. If you are trusting that God is going to empower it, that God's going to use it, and God is going to do with it whatever he wants, and it's not your grass how it comes out, You're working by faith. Hey, how many of you have thought, well, my gift is giving, but I want to make sure that money's going to be used right. God doesn't tell you to control it. If it's a gift, it's a gift. Well, they might misuse it. Exactly, it's between them and God. Do you see what I'm saying? Do what he's asked you to do by faith. Believe that it's God's going to use it And leave the results to him. Second thing, we labor together because of our love for God and for each other. We labor together because of our love for each other. Now, how many people have we seen in churches jockey for position? Who's wanting the best seats? Who's wanting the most accolades or attention? As a pastor, I always hated the end of vacation Bible school week. Because at the end of vacation Bible school, at the final banquet or final whatever it was, they'd always take the time to recognize the leaders who had done all this work. And I got no problem with doing that. But they were all so scared to death that they had forgotten somebody and somebody would be mad. You know what? If I'm doing what I'm doing by faith, I don't care if you notice. Because he's the one who's paying attention. I don't have to get a bank, I don't have to get a thing of flowers. Actually, I'd rather not. And on top of that, if I'm working together, in love, I'm not doing it for accolades. I'm just doing it because I'm enjoying being together with you. By the way, I don't know if you know it. On Wednesday nights, there are people that get here early to just to set up these tables. You have to move chairs, pull tables out of that room, set it all up, and thank God for them. Thank God for them. They're laboring because they love us, and they love the gifts that God's given them. Oh, and we also remain faithful because he talked about our steadfastness, that's perseverance. We remain faithful because of our hope in what is to come. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you because you're as messed up as me. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get a little weary. And sometimes I want to quit. doesn't last long. But it happens. But you know what kicks me back in? What I'm waiting for. Because I'm not living for here. I'm living for the world to come. Go to Romans 8 real quick. Go to Romans chapter 8. I want to just, I could spend the rest of the night showing you what the Bible has to say about hope. But go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 18. 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, let me stop real quick before we go any further. How in the world does Paul know that as bad as the suffering is, what is to come is far better? How does he know? He's He's been there. At this point, remember, before he wrote any of the books, God had already taken him to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12 tells us he wasn't allowed to talk about what he saw. But he can tell you, I can tell you this much. What is to come is going to make you forget all the stuff you've gone through down here. Actually, the Bible actually tells us about that in Isaiah 65, verse 17. It talks about how the former things won't even be remembered nor even come into mind. When we get to the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth, you won't even remember what happened back here. That's Isaiah 65, verse 17. Former things will not be remembered nor even come to mind. That's how awesome it's going to be. A lot of people have said to me over the years, how can it be heaven if I know so-and-so is not there? Read your Bible. When you get to the final or eternal state, you won't even know they're not there. You won't even know they're not there. By the way, look at what he says next, though. He says, for the creation, the earth, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Remember in Genesis 3, the earth was cursed at the same time? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Look at what Paul said. He said, I know something you don't know. What's to come is so amazing, you'll forget what happened here. Secondly, creation knows something you don't know. Creation's waiting to be set free. I think uh, the Chronicles of Narnia might be pretty close to what it's going to be like. You know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the trees were alive and they could move and animals could talk. It's nothing for God to have a donkey talk, is it? Somehow, some way, Noah was able to take the animals and have them all come to the ark. The serpent spoke and Eve was not. Yeah, the serpent spoke and Eve, Eve wasn't acting like, what are you doing talking? I think that the creation, we think that there won't be any weeds or mosquitoes. I don't think we have a clue how amazing it's gonna be. Doesn't the Bible even talk about how the trees of the field will what? Clap their hands. Folks, let me tell you something. You know what keeps me going? What's to come? What's to come? Hey, let me show you something real cool. Go to Romans 15. I'm not alone in trying to hang on because I have a God who wants to give me hope, who wants to give me encouragement, and a God who wants to give me endurance. Look at what it says here, Romans 15, verse 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7 and then jump to verse 13. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Folks, if you don't know what the word of God says, you can't have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement, that's who he is. May he grant you to live in such harmony, again, with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome or accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the glory of God. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We need To do what we do by faith, we need to labor together in love, and we need to hang on by his power, by his grace, through the word of God, through his spirit in hope. We're a day closer to heaven, by the way. And tomorrow will be a day closer if he doesn't come get us. And the next day will be a day closer. There is a day. It's already been said. It's not waiting on anything. And we're getting close. Now, back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Look at verses 4 through 10. We won't finish all these verses, but they tie together in a way that we need to keep them together. Paul says, for we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. How do we know this? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and Paul will deal with that. We'll study more of that next time we get together. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but you. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And, of course, to wait for his son from heaven, which we'll deal with that later on. And the one who's going to save us from the wrath to come. Look at what Paul said. We know that your salvation is real. But you know how we know it's real? Is because... You didn't just respond to the words. There was evidence that your salvation is real. We know that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word. We didn't just speak and hope we made it. Now we know that there's power in the Holy Spirit. There was full conviction. Even in the midst of affliction and suffering, you've continued. Oh, and then he said this, and you turn from Idols to serve the living and true God. Let me say something to you, folks, and I want you to hear what I have to say, because I have to speak very clearly and very boldly in what I'm about to say, because there's a lot of misconception about this. The Bible says very clearly that real salvation will have evidence. Remember our study of James chapter two, where he said, if you say you have faith, but there's no evidence, no works, what can that kind of faith save you? Faith without evidence of salvation is not real faith. Now, I'm going to say something to some of you that have situations in your lives that may hurt, but I want you to listen to me. Too many of us hang on to, well, I remember little Timmy or little Susie, they prayed that prayer. And you're convincing yourself that they're saved, even though they've walked away from God, maybe chosen a different lifestyle or whatever. Let me say this, if their salvation is real... God will finish what he started. But you don't know. So don't convince yourself that they're okay. Pray for them in this way. Lord, only you know the hearts of everyone. Lord, only you know the heart of my wife or my, or, or my husband. Lord, only you know the heart of my children. Lord, if they know you, thank you that your word says that if they've been sealed, you'll, Jesus said he'll lose none that the Father's given them. But at the same time, the Bible is also very true that there will be evidence of salvation. And so, Father, if they're not, save them. Because there's lots of people that pray to prayer. In John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, the Bible says that these people saw the miracles and the works that Jesus was doing, and they believed in his name. We'd all think they were saved, but no, even the demons believe, and they tremble. And the next verse, verse 24, said, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, because he knew all men, and he didn't need man's testimony about man. How many people have said, God, Susie's a real good girl. You know she is. He goes, you don't have to give a testimony. I, I know her heart. And when we don't know in someone's life, we can hang on to the fact that if their salvation is real, he'll finish it. But at the same time, we also pray for evidence. Don't have your evidence be they prayed a prayer or walked denial aisle or were baptized. Have your evidence that you're praying for be conviction of the Holy Spirit, turning from sin to serve the living and true God. How often did Jesus say, unless you're willing to forsake everything, you can't be my disciple. How often did Jesus say, count the cost. We try to get people saved by saying, all you got to do is pray this prayer. You can be forgiven of your sins. And then we talk to them down the road about maybe making Jesus Lord. Folks, either he's Lord or he's not. In their conversion, there needs to be a turning from sin, an acknowledgement of sin, a repentance and a turning to say my life is yours. Now, do we do it perfectly? No. Is there a process of conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ? Yes. But the Bible says if there's no evidence of salvation, don't assume there's salvation. Do you understand? So if you've got family members and people like that, here's how you pray for them. Lord, your word says if, if you sealed them, they're, they're yours. But your word also says there need to be, to be some evidence. and I'm praying for that. That's what I want to see. I'm not going to hang on to something that your word doesn't say. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verses 7 through 9. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if that land that's received the same rain, bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. The word says, in Hebrews here, the Hebrew writer says, look, when rain falls on the land... There's either evidence that it responded appropriately to the, to the rain, or there's evidence that it didn't. If there's a p- produce, if you will, or a crop that's worthwhile, they'll be blessed. If there's a response that's thorns and thistles, the Bible calls it wood, hay, stubble, there's judgment. And so what we need to be doing is looking for evidence. By the way, is evidence of salvation preaching? No. Is evidence of salvation casting out demons? No. Jesus, in Matthew 7, verse 21 following, said, Many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we preach in your name and in your name cast out demons? Didn't we do this stuff? And Jesus says, I'm going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. By the way, you know what evidence the Bible says? There's a lot of it. But evidence is a turning from sin and a desire to serve Jesus and to live their life with him in control. Through the fruit of the Spirit. And that's where we're going next, Glenn, the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. In Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that there's gonna be drunkards and sexual sinners and all these liars and things, and they're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. So, folks, if you've got friends and family and loved ones who are showing more evidence of no Jesus than Jesus, don't hold on to, Will they pray to prayer. Paul said, we shared the gospel with you, but we didn't know whether or not it stuck. And so we were afraid the tempter might have come and tempted you and led you away. And it wasn't real. Remember in the parable of the soils? Parable of the soils, there's going to be some that spring up and sure look like salvation, but... Trouble's going to come, and they're going to go away, and they're not saved. Others are going to be choked by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth. But here's the deal, folks. It might help you to change your prayers if you've got children that aren't walking with the Lord and not convince yourself they're saved and maybe say, Lord, to be honest with you, it looks like Susie's lost. I know she walked in aisle. I know she went to Sunday school. But, Lord, right now, I'm not seeing evidence of salvation. I thank you that if you started something, she's yours. But, Lord, right now, I'm not seeing it, and I'm changing my prayers. She doesn't know you, Lord, do what you got to do. Bring her to her senses. May she come to know you. And pray for them that there be evidence of salvation. The believers in Thessalonica's continued faith despite severe persecution and affliction was evidence that they were good soil. We already read about that in chapter one here, how they believed in much affliction. We looked at chapter three where he talked about how we told you there was gonna be persecution, but even though there was persecution, they continued in the faith. Now I'm gonna say something else that you might not like. That's kinda of why I like what's going on in the world right now. Stick with me here. Unfortunately, Because the church for many years has preached just pray this prayer. And we haven't preached surrender to Jesus Christ and a turning from sin. And looking for real evidence of salvation. Because we're more interested in numbers and baptisms than we were real salvations. Remember Jesus said go make disciples teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. He didn't say go make converts. He said, go teach them to observe everything that I've taught you. And so our churches have been full of fake Christians. And it's been easy to pretend to be a Christian, but guess what? As things get worse, it's going to get harder and harder to fake it. The real ones are going to be evidenced because you're going to start seeing, the Bible says, an apostasy. A falling away from the faith. You're going to, we've already seen it in our day, have we not? With certain denominations and churches actually starting to say that sexual sin is okay. And God's good with it. When the Bible is so clear in so many ways, that's sin and it's not approved. Yet, it's going to be harder now to fake it. That makes my job easier. Because now... Oh, the numbers may be smaller. But I get to preach and teach to people who are for real. Who are really hungry and want to hear the word of God. But this is why we need each other. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll close with this. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're look at verses 24 and 25. And then verses 32 through 39 Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's almost like God knew what was going to happen during COVID. Look at verses 32 through 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Sounds like they were living for the life to come and had a hope. Therefore... Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for you a little while. The coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see it. It's all been here all along. There's going to be an evidence of those of us who are real and those who aren't. It's going to be the fruit of the spirit. It's going to be a turning from sin. It's going to be a willingness, the willingness to just surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. It's going to be a, a willingness to keep going even in the midst of affliction and suffering. And there's going to be a love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness in us. And folks, let me say this to you. The Bible actually tells us how we're to live in these days. We're to treat people with gentleness and respect. But we're also to understand that the days are evil. We're to also... To, I, I know I told you I was going to close with that, but we've got two minutes. Go to 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter. I want you to see it for yourselves. Don't just take my word for it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 14. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that, for the hope that's in you. Yet, do it with a bullhorn. No, do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. The church today has become really good at being loud and trying to preach the truth. But we don't know how to preach the truth in love. Folks, if you really understand who you are in Christ, if you really understand the power that's available to you, if you really understand that nothing can happen to you without God's permission and He's going to be involved in the whole process and use it for good, if you really rest in Him, you won't be freaked out by the people around you. You won't feel a need to fight back and revile when you're reviled. But you can calmly just smile and know who's really in charge. Oh, they might get louder. They may even threaten to kill you. But you know what? If I ain't living for here, killing me might be a good thing. When you you don't fear death, Satan has nothing on you. So through this study, I hope to be used by God as we study these letters through the word of God. Remember, he's a God of hope and encouragement and endurance to fill you with hope and joy and believing. So that we can live in this world world and actually be so at peace that people would actually ask us for the reason for the hope that's within us. We don't have to go stand out there and preach it. We can just live it. And people will see it. I love you. We'll see you next week.